Welcome to episode number 18 of Talking Mopars. On today's show, we're going to talk Project Car of the Week, high-performance parts, listener stories, and we're just going to get into some random Mopar talk. So let's go ahead and call this episode Ramblings of a Mopar Addict. Okay? So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. We are back for another fun Mopar-filled episode, and some of you are regular listeners that know the routine, but some of you are brand new listeners to the show, and if you are one of those people, welcome to the show. Talking Mopars is a podcast for Mopar enthusiasts. Only Mopar is spoken here. Every week, we have reoccurring segments that include Project Car of the Week, high-performance parts, and listener stories. We also have special editions of the show like high-performance heritage and direct connections, which are coming very soon. Those are conversations with movers and shakers in the Mopar community and enthusiasts like you and me. Now, if you're feeling lost by that giant list of segments and all that hoopla that you're not sure what it's about, I suggest starting at episode one and working your way up to where we are right now. It'll be a good way for you to see how this show has progressed and evolved to the point where we are today. And that's 18 episodes in, which in the grand scheme of things, we're not that deep in, folks. So you go back, listen to 17 episodes and catch up. And then we're all on the same page, okay? So please understand that this show isn't limited to one type of Mopar. We are attempting to cover it all, from the forward look through the turbocharged 80s and all the way up to the modern era of today. No Mopar will be left behind as we take a deep dive into the world of Mopars. This podcast is as much for the true Mopar enthusiast as it is for those of you who are new to Mopars. Who knows? You listen to this podcast for long enough and you may learn a thing or two about Mopars. You can also participate in the show. All you got to do is send me your questions, your stories, your comments, your suggestions, your complaints, and whatever else comes to mind to me at my email, which is chris at talkingmopars.com. I read all the stories that are sent to me on the show. It's a fun way to bring the Mopar community together and share our love and enthusiasm for Mopars. Maybe you don't want to even read your story. Maybe you want to tell us the story yourself. Stories and anything else you have to say can actually be sent to me by leaving me a voice message too. I have a voicemail for the podcast, and as long as the messages are appropriate, I will share them on the podcast. And you can reach that voicemail by dialing me up at 209-28-MOPAR. Okay, now that we're all up to speed, let's get this show on the road. This week's Project Car of the Week is actually a truck, and I found it on eBay. Posted on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page on Saturday, March 7th at 7.47 a.m. Let's read the ad. Here is a very original 79 Dodge Little Red Express truck. It's been off the road since 2005 and has been inside a storage building all that time. This truck is in Long Island, New York. This truck originally came from Missouri, so it was not in the Rust Belt for the majority of its life. The undercarriage is in very nice condition with minimal rot. The driver door bottom has some rust on the bottom of it. The truck is about 95% complete. I am no expert on these trucks. Has original V8 engine and transmission still inside of it. Will need some work to be a runner again. This is a good builder or a parts truck. You make the call on that. These bring good money once restored. The shorebed truck scene is hot now. 
I bought this as a restoration project. Shipping overseas is no issue. Car will need to be towed away. I can help with loading it on a truck. Payment, wire, transfer, check, or cash. Call with questions. Clean title in hand. All right, guys. It should be noted that this truck has a buy it now price of $5,015. Now, I've seen thousands of Mopars for sale in the past few years that I've been doing the Mopar Hunter Facebook page. And it's not too often that you come across a Dodge Little Red Express project. Most of them are driver quality or even show quality examples, and they're priced accordingly. This one, for five grand, the shape that this truck is in is, <laughs> to put it lightly, it's in dire need of a restoration, okay? The paint is faded, the logos on the doors are completely gone, the stacks are actually in the bed of the truck, so the stacks aren't intact, the interior needs work, this thing... It's about as rough as a Little Red Express can get. I've seen some that were in a field for what looked like 15 or 20 years that looked better than this thing, but that's okay. You know, for $5,000, you're getting a Little Red Express that's, you know, the seller says it's about 95% complete. I'm wondering what he means by that. But let's assume that you have most of the parts to put this truck together and you can get it running. That would be a really cool, ratty Mopar project truck. That's what I think. There's just something about it that's cool. You know, it's got bumps, bruises, dings, dents. You know, the passenger fender is kind of messed up in the front. It's, uh, I'm sure it's got plenty of rust. These tin grill Dodge trucks. Now, if you're not familiar with the term tin grill Dodge truck, tin grill was the nickname given to 72 to 80 Dodge, Plymouth, and Fargo trucks that was coined by my friend Paul from the tin grill Dodge trucks Facebook page. Now, back to this truck. It needs some work. You know, it's, the underside appears to be okay. You know, it doesn't appear to be a complete rot box, but the truck needs some love. But it is not so far gone that it wouldn't make it worthwhile. Now, at $5,000, I think that's a pretty good buy. I see a lot of complete rot boxes for around, you know, two to three grand. So for another couple grand, you get a, you know, little red express. I think that's a good deal. And I'm such a fan of ratty Mopars that I would just get the thing running. <laughs> you know, you're going to hear that a lot on the show because I firmly believe that the best thing you can do for these old Mopars is just get them back on the road. They don't have to be fully restored, even in ratty condition. A little rust never hurt anybody. A little faded paint never hurt anybody. You know, have some fun. These trucks are cool. And I actually did a high performance heritage episode of this podcast about these trucks. And, you know, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the Little Red Express. I'm a fan of tin grill Dodge trucks, period, but there's just something about the Little Red Express that's cool, and it's always been that way. You know, the last American hot rod. Um, you know, and like I said, $5,000, that's, that's really not that much money when you consider all the other vehicles out there for $5,000. <laughs> I've seen rotted, complete rot boxes, you know, B bodies and E bodies for triple the price, okay? So if you're complaining about a $5,000 beater truck, you know, that has cool factor like the Little Red Express, get out of here. <laughs> You're out of your mind. But this thing's cool, and I think it's worth five grand. You know, the seller says it has the original V8 engine and transmission, so that's good. You may be able to get this thing running really quick. I would personally, these trucks had really big problems with the bulkhead connectors. It's not too uncommon to find the bulkheads melted on these things. So go through the wiring. You know, if you buy a tin grill Dodge truck, the first thing I would do is look at that bulkhead connector and address any issues there. 
start in the front and work your way through the truck. Um, because the wiring is the biggest problem of these things. The engines, you can get these things running really easily. For those of you that don't know, I have a 76 Dodge D100 that hadn't ran in three years. Got it running really quick, drove it home. And, you know, the biggest problem I've had with that truck has been electrical because the bulkhead connector was completely melted and the previous owner had bypassed the ammeter and caused all sorts of problems. So now I'm going through and I'm rewiring the whole thing and I suck at wiring. So um, it's been kind of a project. But if you were to buy this little Red Express, here's what I would do. I would get it running first. And then once you know that the engine runs, you know, obviously you want to do your fluids and all that stuff. But the first thing after you get it running should be to look at that wiring because these trucks are notorious for melting down at the bulkhead connector on the firewall. If you have that issue, then you're going to have to either go wire by wire, find a NOS wiring harness, or I know there's a couple guys out there that recreate these wiring harnesses for these trucks, or you can just rewire the whole truck. I chose to rewire my whole truck. You definitely want to address the wiring in these things. And if it's, if it's good, if it looks good, sweet. But I would bypass the ammeter or at least, you know, go through the connections and make sure that everything is up to par. And then, of course, you get into your safety stuff, your brakes, and all that fun stuff. Get the truck to a point where you can just drive it and enjoy it. And maybe fix it up along the way. I think there's a lot of people that are scared to drive in something that other people would think is ratty or a hoopty or whatever derogatory car term you can use against them. But that's just because they don't know what they are. If you really appreciated the history of Mopars, then... When you see a ratty little red express, you'd go, oh, that's really cool. I like that a lot. You know what I mean? Um, some people don't like the Utilines. Uh, I like swept lines myself, but the Utilines are cool in their own way. And I would love to have one, especially a little red express. If I could get my hands on this truck, I'd be a happy man. Because then I'd have my swept line, my Utiline, and there's just something about the little red express. I don't know if it's the stacks or the history, but it's just a cool truck. And for five grand, I think this one's a great buy. This is High Performance Parts, the segment of the show where we take a couple minutes to highlight a Mopar from TV or movie history. And this week's High Performance Part belongs to the Viper from the TV series Viper. Now, I was thinking about what Mopar I wanted to use for this week's segment of high-performance parts, and I thought about it, and I thought about it, and there's so many of them, and a lot of them have already been covered by other shows. So, what I wanted to do on this episode was try to find something so obscure, that, I, and I'm sure this has been talked about. I just couldn't find the podcast that it was talked about, if it was ever talked about in the first place, but if not, then I guess it was talked about here first, folks. And that is the Viper from the TV series Viper. It, it was such a corny show when it first came out, but I was a kid. You know, it came out in what, like 94? So that would have put me at what, nine? <laughs> so of course I loved it because when I first saw the Viper, that's the Vipers are cars that I call poster cars. It's a car that I had a poster of on the wall in my room as a kid. So. I will always have a special place in my heart for a Viper, and I would love to own one someday. But this show was basically about, it was about the Viper. <laughs> it was a law enforcement special operations <laughs> division that 
took a Viper and basically turned it into a Transformer. So this regular RT-10 would morph into a crime-fighting, just a superhero car. That's what it seemed like to me as a kid because, you know, you'd hit this button and then the red Dodge Viper would turn silver and, you know, it would basically, all the panels would shift and now you have this silver-looking concept car-looking Viper. But I thought it was really cool as a kid and doing some research on it, I remember now that the car eventually became a cobalt blue Viper GTS coupe. So later on in the series, towards the end actually, it wasn't a red RT-10 anymore, it was actually a Viper GTS coupe, and I think the show ended in 99, and I just think it's funny that they had a TV show called Viper, about a Viper that transformed. How crazy is that? You know, that's so 90s. With some of the other cars that I've talked about on high performance parts, I've seen those movies recently. You know, I'm trying to remember this show from when I was nine. <laughs> not Probably not going to happen. And I have no interest in watching a TV series from that period of time. But since it's got a Viper in it, I'll probably go check out a couple episodes and see. I know that uh, doing some research, I actually looked on YouTube to see if I could find any cool clips. And there was actually a clip of like the bad guy in a, I think it was a 67 GTX coupe that... <laughs> Um, it was supposedly a Hemi car. It had guns that were in place of the inner headlights. It was a fun little video clip on YouTube, so you could probably look it up. If you just look up Viper TV show or Viper series, you'll probably see the video. But yeah, Chrysler had involvement in a TV series called Viper. How crazy is that? That's nuts. Looking at the design of the... They called the Viper after it transformed. They called the car the, the Viper Defender, I think. You know, it was cool. It was cool for what it was in the 90s. In the 90s, it was really cool. You know, that's high-performance parts for this week. The Viper from the TV series Viper. <laughs> Imagine that. This week's listener story was sent in from my friend Northwest Chuck. Here is his story. Chris, I was a young married U.S. Marine that worked a second job at a hardware store just off base in Camp Pendleton, California. My MOS was a wheeled vehicle mechanic where I worked till 4 p.m. and then went to my hardware store job at 5 p.m. Well, one midweek day, a retired sergeant major came in the hardware store and was looking for brass round stock to make handmade knife handles. I knew that we didn't have what he was looking for, but realized that we had just removed a brass drift from our military tool sets on my base job. We had about 15 tool sets in my shop. I told the retired sergeant major that I would see if they were still in the scrap metal bin. If they were, I would grab them a few. The next day, I brought in about six to my second job. The sergeant major came in. I was happy to see him and told him I have them in my car. I said I can't get them during working hours, but we'll meet him in the parking lot at 8 p.m. He said he couldn't wait that long, but only lived two blocks away at a trailer park. I told him I would drop them by and knew of the trailer park he lived in. Well, it was still early evening, sunset, while driving through the trailer park, and I recall many speed bumps. Well, about four trailers before the sergeant major's unit was a small trailer with a bunch of kids' toys and bicycles in the yard, but I spot what I thought was a roadrunner under a sun-toasted tarp and yard tools. I dropped the brass off with the sergeant major and asked if he knew that neighbor. He didn't. He tried to pay me. I told him, no way, sergeant major. Well, I said, what can I lose? Let's knock on that door of the trailer with the car. I did, and the owner stepped out, and we pulled the cover and tools off, and it was actually a two-door hardtop, green-on-green, 1969 Plymouth Belvedere, nothing special, slant six, auto. Well, I asked how much. He said, bring air, a battery, and fuel, and 500 bucks. Well, I came back with a buddy of mine in his truck with a tow cable and the stuff he mentioned. 
We spent a few hours to get it running. Well after we knew we were good to drive it, I went to the sliding glass door of the trailer and knocked on the door. The guy came and I said, let's get the deal done. I handed him 500 bucks and at that point his wife grabbed the money from him and said, you are not selling this car for 500 bucks to her husband. I was like, man, I just got suckered. I was 19 years old and that 500 bucks was a stretch. Well, she gave me back 200 bucks and said, thank you for hauling it off and signed the title. Whoa, couldn't believe it. Well, I changed out all the liquids, literally popped all the dents out of it and put new tires on and drove the car for three years around Southern California until I left for the Gulf War and sold it to a guy in the barracks for $800. That car was truly a bulletproof slant six. Of course, I wish I would have kept it. Northwest Chuck. Hey, Chuck, thanks for sending in your story. What a good one. I love hearing stories about cars found and purchased for really cheap. It sounds like it was a really cool car. Um, Slant 6, you know, obviously a bulletproof engine. Probably one of the best engines Chrysler ever came out with. Um, That's debatable, but I stand firm in my belief that the Slant 6 is probably right up there with a 426 Hemi. Before I continue, let me just say thank you for your service, Chuck, and to anyone else who has served in the U.S. military that has sent in stories, thank you for your service. Without you, I wouldn't be able to do this, and you probably wouldn't be listening to the show. So, thank you for your service, and back to the Chuck story. Very cool that the car was green on green. If anyone has listened to this show for long enough, you know that I'm a fan of green on green, which is very uncommon. I don't know very many people that are. So, hey, if you're a fan of green on green, then welcome to the club. (laughs) But, sounds like a really cool car. What a cool move by the wife chopping the price for you. That's awesome. I love hearing stories like that. And, you know, it's really cool that you were able to get that car, save it from doom under the tarp and yard tools. (laughs) But very cool story. I'm glad that you saved that car. It is a bummer that you sold it, but hey, you sold it for more than you bought it for. So that's a win, right? I'm glad you sent in your story, Chuck, and I'm glad you were able to tell it. Because as you know, anytime you go over to war, Some of our people don't make it back. Well, I'm glad you made it back, Chuck, and were able to share your story. And it was a good one. A lot of people don't know about Chuck's little project car, but I do, and I can't wait to hear the story about that. So, Chuck, when you get your project done, send me the story on that one, because I'm excited to hear about it. All right, buddy? That does it for listener stories this week. If you are interested in hearing your story on this show, all you have to do is send me your story. I accept all Mopar stories, and if you send them in, I will tell them on this show. So, if you have a story, send it to me, chris at talkingmopars.com. And I've said this before, please read back your story to yourself and see if there's anything that you can fix to tighten it up for me a little bit, because I'm not the best reader. (laughs) So, you know, me reading your stories, especially since I didn't write them, is kind of a challenge. I try to do my best, and sometimes I think things get lost in translation, but Just know that I'm doing my best, and you can always help me out a little bit by just proofreading your story and just tightening it up for me, okay? Thank you very much, and I just want to hear your stories. I don't care if they're about classic Mopars, modern Mopars, a Mopar that you saw and slipped through your fingers. I I just want to hear Mopar stories, and so do all the other listeners. So send them in, okay? That does it for listener stories this week, and we'll catch up with listener stories next week. I told you guys that this episode was the ramblings of a Mopar addict and that I didn't really have a main topic. So, let me just ramble about a few things. Last week, I released an episode, and here's the story of what happened. I'm sure some of you heard the errors in the first release, 
because what had happened, what had happened was I had finished the final mix down and I was exporting the file and my stupid computer crashed. And what ended up happening was when I went back, I had to restart my computer. I went back into the program I used to record the podcast and I opened up the file and a lot of my post-production work had been wiped out. So all I had was my voice recording. And if you listen to the show, you know that I have an intro, an outro, and then musical breaks in between the segments. All of that was gone. So, and there was a couple. So as I record the podcast, I have certain save points. So if something catastrophic happens, I can go back to the last save and hopefully not lose too much work. Well, unfortunately, it had been a while since I went back and saved. So when I went back, there was a lot of stuff that was gone. So I had to scramble to get the episode put up and it was super late. And once I got all the post-production done, I and, and keep in mind, I sped through it, which was, you know, my bad. I shouldn't have done that. I should have just taken the time because I was so adamant about getting the episode released on time that I didn't do the final listen through. And that's usually what I do with the podcast is I'll listen to it one more time before I actually publish it. And then the next morning on the way to work, I will listen to it again. And this time, I didn't do that final listen because I was pretty sure that I had everything lined up correctly. That was the biggest mistake I've made on this podcast so far. And if you've listened to some of the past episodes, like when I was first starting, I'd say the first 10 episodes, you can hear little errors here and there. I'm not a professional audio engineer. So I've made some mistakes and they've slipped through the cracks. But this one was major. It was, it was, it was really bad. Um, you could hear in the beginning of the podcast after the intro ends and I start talking, the outro plays. And that's my own fault. I completely dropped the ball on that. And I'm sorry if you heard that mess. I'm sorry. But what I did was I tried to, because I was on my way to work. So I hear this and I'm like, oh God. And then I look, I look at the current download numbers and I was like, oh my God, a hundred people already downloaded that piece of junk. Oh man, I was embarrassed, but you know, I let it go and I said, you know what? Everybody makes mistakes. I'm going to fix it when I get home. But halfway to work, I was like, forget that. I'm deleting the episode right now. So I deleted the episode. And when I got home later that evening, I went through and I corrected all the mistakes. So if you heard the errors in the first release, you know, sorry, I'm not perfect, but the numbers skyrocketed for the second release. So I don't know if people went back and <laughs> listened to the second release or what, but whatever the case, we're moving on. We're moving forward. And I hope that never happens again, but you know, this is all computers. So, you know, they crash, things happen, and hopefully, knock on wood, this doesn't happen that bad again. <laughs> Moving on from that, there is one more thing I want to say about the last episode, episode number 17 that I released, which was part three of the three-part series on the history of the Hemi. A few people mentioned that I didn't mention the 426 Heliphant. Now, if you had paid close attention to what I was talking about on the history of the Hemi, I mentioned that they were basically production engines that I was talking about. And that's why I didn't mention the crate engine. Because the Heliphant, if you look at the history of the Hemi, the Heliphant 
is without a doubt probably the most badass one that has ever come out. You know, as far as Hemis go, the Elephant probably, I mean, a thousand horsepower. You know, every other Hemi can bow down to that because no other Hemi has come close to that. Now, it does have a supercharger. So it does it does have a little a little help, but if we wanted to ask the question, what is the ultimate Hemi of all time? You know, I'm sure there is a giant group of people that would say the 426 Hemi, the second generation. And I'm sure there's a group of people, a giant group that would say the elephant hands down. You know, where do I sit on that? It's tough because I am a fan of the original elephant, the 426 Hemi. I would lean towards the original Hemi just because I'm a little bit nostalgic, but I would never talk bad about the elephant. That thing is crazy. I would love to have one. Um, I've talked about in the past what I would love to do if I had a elephant, and I still think that I would probably put it in a 68 Hurst Superstock tribute car, um, a, a 68 Dart. I would love to have everything nostalgic, with the exception of when you pop that hood underneath that Hemi fiberglass hood, you'll see a elephant. I think that would be amazing. And I'm curious to see how it would perform, you know, with all the old, the old tech, you know, but a modern engine. So you got your old suspension and all that, you know, nostalgic engineering. It would be interesting to see what would happen. You know, that's just my crazy way of thinking. But just know that I didn't forget about the elephant. I left it out for a reason, but it is a badass Hemi. And it's probably, it's definitely the most powerful Hemi ever produced. Will we ever see it in a production car? I doubt it, but I mean, I've been surprised before. So there's your challenge, Mopar. Put that in a production car. Let's see it happen. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if it's possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? The federal government might step in and go, whoa, 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 a thousand horsepower? Let's get realistic here. And then uh, put the kibosh on all of our Mopar fun. But until that happens, I'm still sticking true with the fact that the series was about production Hemis and not crate Hemis. Because if we're talking crate Hemis, you know, you got, there's so many crate Hemis and companies that make amazing Hemi engines that, I mean, we could have a whole podcast episode about that and maybe we will in the future. You never know. So that's that. I just wanted to clear the air on that and say that I didn't forget about the elephant. It just didn't fit into that particular series that I was talking about. So, you know, don't. Burn me at the stake, folks, okay? I didn't forget, all right? The Elephant is an amazing engine, and, you know, it probably does hold the crown. It sits on the throne of baddest Hemi of all time. So, speaking of modern Hemis, you guys probably heard the episode where I talked about wanting to buy myself a new Challenger for my 40th birthday. Well, you know, sometimes I change my mind. And while I still plan on buying a new Challenger at some point, I think I'm going to get one more modern Mopar before then, and it's only because I went down a YouTube rabbit hole and watched a bunch of videos on this particular Mopar, and now I want one. I've always thought they were cool, but once I really dove deep into what they're capable of, I realized I got to get one of those. You know, I'm a family man now, I have a daughter, she's eight months old, and I plan on having more kids, so... My wife doesn't like vans, and I also live in the Pacific Northwest, and, you know, we get some, we get some weather here every once in a while, and winters are kind of, you know, hit and miss if we're going to get snow or not. 
So I kind of need a vehicle that can handle all sorts of weather conditions. And right now I have a 2012 Dodge Ram 1500. That's my daily driver. But, you know, I get bored with stuff and I'm bored with the truck. You know, it's lifted. It's got, you know, big wheels and tires on it. it it's a cool, you know, I, I like it, but it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't satisfy my need for fun. You know, it's not really a fun truck, you know, unless we take it off road or something, but I'm still making payments on it. So that's not going to happen. Uh, it's a mall crawler, but I, uh, I want something fast and you know, my current projects, they're not going anywhere quick anytime soon. So I decided that the next Mopar I buy is probably going to be a 2006 to 2010 WK1. Now, what's a WK1? That's the Jeep Grand Cherokee, okay? The first generation of the SRT8s. Now, the SRT8 Grand Cherokees, amazing cars. You know, all-wheel drive, 6.1 Hemi, 425 horsepower. They hook up, okay? If you, put, if you lined up a WK1 SRT8 against, you know, a Challenger of the same year, and you raced from a dig, guess what? That Cherokee's going to pull hard, and it's going to hook right up. And I really, if you look at these videos on YouTube, you see these guys that are pushing a 1,000 all-wheel horsepower with turbocharged WK1s. Now, that's insane. And I understand that you can't just throw a turbo kit on it and just crank up the boost and expect to run a 1,000 horsepower in 10-second quarter miles time after time after time. You're going to end up blowing some stuff up. You're going to grenade the thing. So I understand that if I got one, you know, the turbo kits aren't cheap. They're like six grand. And then a transmission, you know, fully built, probably around four grand. And then you start adding all that stuff up. But I'm thinking to myself, okay, let's say a new Challenger. We'll just say safely 45,000. Okay. You get a WK1 SRT8, and you could probably be in that, you know, a low mileage example I've seen from 20 to about 25. So we'll just call it 25. So let's say I'm in it for 25. And compared that to the Challenger, which is at 45, I've got $20,000 leeway there. I think I can build a WK1 to be faster than a Challenger that I would be able to buy for 45,000, including a Hellcat, just playing with that 20,000. So, you know, that's where I'm, that's what I'm thinking. I think it would be a fun family car. And I still think I can convince my wife that it makes a great family car. And I think I've done that. So if she's listening to this, or if she ever listens to this, she'll know that my ultimate plan was to disguise a family vehicle that is actually a monster. <laughs> but that's the plan. I'm, I've been looking. I've been trying to see if I can get my truck traded in. But the problem is, here's, a, here's the thing, folks. When you make payments on something, if you get tired of it like I do, like I get tired of vehicles, and then I get rid of them. Instead of selling them private party like a smart person, I always end up trading them and rolling over the rest of my loans. Don't ever do that because then you get what's called negative equity and you get upside down. And that's where I'm at with my truck right now. I had a 2001 Dodge Ram 2500 with the Cummins. I, that's, that's the Mopar that got away from me, my Cummins truck. That truck was awesome. It just needed about, you know, I needed a new injection pump, injectors and a new lift pump, but if I had done all that, because the transmission had already been gone through, and it was an automatic, unfortunately, but it was ready to go, 
If I just did the fuel system in it, I probably could have ran that thing another million miles. But, you know, the time that I was going through all that, I just didn't have the money to throw at the truck, and I needed something more reliable that I wouldn't have to worry about, which was a mistake in the long run, but I love the truck I have. You know, it's a cool truck, you know, it's been fun, but now the fun has run out, and it's time to move on. So what I want to do is I want to try to pay down that negative equity a little bit, and then uh, try to find myself a low mileage SRT8 Grand Cherokee. I would like to find a 2010, but I'm not that picky. Anything from 2006 to 2010 will do, preferably black, and we'll see what happens. So that'll be another project for the show. You know, I'll be able to update you guys on that kind of stuff, and we'll see how long it takes me to catch up on this truck, on these payments, uh, so I can actually make that happen. But the plan is to get the Cherokee and pay that off, and then I'll be ready to go find my Challenger. So. If everything works out, I'll have every Mopar I've ever dreamed of, you know, with the exception of uh, a couple that are still coming. I do want a Viper. I want an E-body. I want a C-body. I want a B-body. Another A-body would be cool. (laughs) Um, I would like a Little Red Express or a Midnight Express or a Warlock. Um, There's a lot of Mopars that (laughs) I still want. So that's another thing. I don't have enough room for all these. I live in a housing development with an HOA. Worst thing ever. Okay, so I can't have Mopars in the front lawn and a fence that opens up to the backyard where I can go park Mopars. That's not going to happen. So I also need to think about moving into a house that has, you know, more room and preferably a shop because, you know, you don't want things sitting outside. You know, if you can prevent it, you know, I think if I play my cards right, I can get out of this house and get myself into, you know, my family into a house that has a nice shop and still fulfills our family needs. So that's what I'm looking forward to in the future. Hopefully not that far into the future, but we'll see what happens with that. But enough about my financial problems and my dreams. (laughs) Um, One last thing before I go, I did want to mention that I finally figured out what I want to do with the $100 Hemi. Now, if you haven't heard about that, I talked about that on a podcast. Just go find the $100 Hemi podcast. And I asked what I should do with it because I wasn't really sure at that time. But now I know. After getting, you know, lost in the WK1 SRT8 Grand Cherokees with 1,000 all-wheel horsepower, I started looking into turbocharging the 5.7 Hemi. And I ran across an article that Hot Rod did. Now, I never caught this in the magazine in print, but I did catch it online. And they threw together an eBay turbo kit. Okay, so bottom of the barrel junk. Let's be let's be realistic here. Let's be honest. Bottom of the barrel junk turbo kit. Okay, they put it on a 2006 5.7 Hemi that they got from a wrecking yard for 1,500 bucks. Okay, now I have the same engine, and as it turns out, mine's a remanufactured block. So what I plan to do? Well, let's get back to the hot rod article. So they throw this eBay turbo kit on it, leave it stock internals, I believe. And they ended up getting something well over 600 horsepower out of this thing, okay? And I saw that and I was like, okay, well, that's a pretty impressive number. And then they did a follow-up article, I believe, and they changed out a couple things. They changed out, I believe, obviously the turbo. They changed out the turbo, got a better turbo. And I believe they changed the wastegate and maybe a couple other things. But regardless, they made four-digit horsepower. They made 1,000 horsepower with it. Now I'm thinking to myself, okay, what if I tear down the Hemi, which is what I'm in the process of doing now, and 
I either put in a stroker kit or just put in drop drop in internals that are forged. So I'll get forged internals and I will piece together my own turbo kit, not based off eBay stuff. And, you know, let's see if I can get that four digit horsepower too out of this 5.7 Hemi. And what am I going to put it in? My low par, the 76 Dodge D100 on air ride suspension. Okay. I know that sounds crazy. I have a dart that I want to race. And here I am talking about putting a turbo 5.7 Hemi in my low rider truck. <laughs> it's ridiculous, I know, but I want to have the fastest airbagged 10 grill Dodge truck on the planet. Now that's street driven and that is on air ride suspension. Okay. I, I don't think that's too far of a stretch because I don't know anyone that is that crazy. You know, I know there's a lot of fast 10 grills out there. I've seen them. They're running 10 second quarter miles with big blocks. Um, but I've never seen a bagged 10 grill Dodge truck. That's 72 to 80 Dodge truck with a turbo Hemi in it, pushing a thousand horsepower. I've never seen it. So I would like to be the first person to do that. And that's the goal with that. And I see we're running out of time here. You know, if we go too long, this podcast turns into a pumpkin. That's what I've heard. So I don't want to take that risk. So we're going to go ahead and cut this episode off here. I'm glad you stayed long enough to hear me rambling. Uh, the ramblings of a Mopar addict. You know, my name's Chris and I'm addicted to Mopars. That's that for this week. Next week, we'll get back to the normal. We'll have a, a real topic and all that fun stuff. I just wanted to get some stuff off my chest. So thank you for joining me today. And we will see you next week. That's it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed our talk today. I had a good time as always. It's always fun talking Mopars, and it's even better when I have no agenda. I enjoy free flow conversation as much as the structured episodes, but sometimes it's nice to just say what's on your mind, and that was what was on mine. So thanks for joining me. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit talkingmoparsa.com. Also, don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your mind to me at my email address, which is chris at talkingmopars.com. And sharing the website, talkingmopars.com, with all of your Mopar-addicted friends is the best way to help me spread the word about this podcast. So if you could, please share the podcast with you know, your friends, your family, on social media. That all helps me get the word out about this show. You can also leave me a voice message that I will share on the podcast at my voicemail box. The number for that is 209-28-MOPAR. So that's that, folks. Before I shut this show down for the night, I have a favor to ask of you. I told you last week that we made Podcast Magazine's Hot 50, placing 16th overall for their second issue. Now, I want to see if we can rank again in the next issue and issues after that. So if you enjoy this show, not only do ratings and reviews help the show, but also ranking on lists like the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 also help the show. So if you could please, on whatever platform you listen to, if there's a way to rate and review the show, please do that for me. That would be amazing, and you know I would thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. But also, if you have a spare second, please go to podcastmagazine.com slash hot 50. That's hot five zero and enter your favorite podcast, which hopefully is talking Mopars. And the more people I get that can put my name on there, the podcast name talking Mopars and vote for the show, 
the better odds I have of ranking even higher. I want to show the world of podcasting that the Mopar community is strong, and the way to do that is by voting for the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth, Talking Mopars. Before we sign off here, I just wanted to know if any of you caught that my future co-host of this show made her first appearance last week at the very end of the show. At the very end of the outro, when the music starts fading, you hear me talk to my lovely co-host, my eight-month-old daughter, Sage. So, Mopar Sage is growing up with Mopar in her blood. Okay, I promise that. And someday, if she chooses to do so, she will be my co-host on this show. And she will be the heir to the throne of talking Mopars, if she wants. But I'm going to do everything in my power to show her how cool Mopars are and how amazing the community is. Hopefully in a few years, you guys will be introduced to Mopar Sage, my daughter. And I was really excited to get her on the show and, you know, have her voice be heard because, you know, it's kind of, you know, it pulls on my heartstrings a little bit when I think about when I'm long gone, she'll be able to listen to this podcast and hear her dad's voice. That's really cool. And she'll be able to hear herself as a baby on the podcast. That's really cool, too. And I hope she has the same love of Mopars that I do. And I hope that we can bond over Mopars. And hopefully, she'll take the position as co-host on the show. And, you know, you won't have to be stuck listening to me forever. But she's only eight months old, so it's going to be a while, folks. Hopefully, we'll all be able to show her that the Mopar community is a good community. Okay? So, that's it. Thank you guys and gals for listening. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.